A drug addiction is tragic for the one caught up in that lifestyle. But what about the tragedy of the parent watching their child in that lifestyle? Thank you for joining me for episode 66 of the Unique On Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. I am your host, Rachel Gentleman, just a regular gal trying to help people know they are called to be victors in Christ Jesus. Today, I chat with wife, mother, grandmother, and author, Catherine Inman. Take a listen as Catherine walks us through her journey as a mother of a heroin addict, what that addiction did to their family, but also how it led them to Jesus. Welcome back to the Unique on Purpose podcast. And today I am with Catherine Inman. And Catherine, I just have to say, you are my very first interview from California. And <laughs> and I'm jealous because you live in a beautiful state. I have never been there, but I've seen a million pictures. And so someday, someday I hope to get out there. But uh, I thank you for being here. We have a lot to chat about today. But what is funny, Catherine, is I have no clue. I found you because I started following you on Instagram. And I'll be honest, I have no idea how I started following you on Instagram. Like, I... <laughs> It's just, I, I, I don't know if I just came across your name on a certain author site or what it was, but just suddenly I just started seeing your book popping up, Counting Spoons, which we'll, we'll get to in a moment. But you are a wife, you're a mom, you're a grandmother, you're a blogger, and may I say you're a drug addict survivor, and it's not you that was the drug addict but a member of your family, which we are going to talk about here in just a moment. And we're also going to be talking about your book. But you are a drug addict survivor in the fact that your son was addicted, was living that lifestyle. But Catherine, tell me a little bit about you first. Who is Catherine Inman? Thank you. And let me tell you, I don't know how we connected either, Rachel. I I was trying to think about that, and I remember the same thing happening. I was seeing you in my feed, and I was intrigued by your posts, and I just thought you were a strong woman, and I had um, just, you know, I was excited to follow you. So I was trying to reconcile that in my head, too. I'm not sure how we we connected. (laughs) Must have been the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So thank you for having me here today. But, yeah, so uh, who I am, I am first and foremost, a child of God. And I'll say second, just because uh, having grandkids has just changed my life in the most beautiful way. So I'll say second is a grandma. I'm a, <laughs> a wife and a mom. Um, I was a, I, my professional career, I worked for a nonprofit organization for over 30 years. And I was the operations director there. So I, uh, I had a really important job, kind of a lot of pressure, but it also had my heart because it was social services. So Mm -hmm. we were giving to the community and providing support for the community. And I'm from the Bay Area originally, born and raised in Castro Valley, California. I had moved to Modesto, where we currently live, Um, got married, got divorced, raised my two boys. And how I became a writer is on my second marriage, we're a blended family. We have five adult children between us, but I have mm-hmm. two biological sons. Anyway, my husband had a job in Kona, Hawaii, and it was kind of a, a different path that he was going down. I ended up resigning from my position and joining him after all those years of working and 
being independent. And when I did that, uh, I started writing. Mm-hmm. So my life has changed completely in the last four years. So yeah, and, and that really goes back, I think, in my life in two ways, before I knew Jesus and after. Mm-hmm. And it's, I may look somewhat the same, but it has changed everything about who I am as a person. Yeah, for sure. So what was life growing up for your sons like? You know, we we had a great life. I mean, we went through a divorce from their father. The boys were just three and six years old when me and the boys left and moved out. That was tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was not a... There was a lot of communication issues. There was two households that had completely different rules and beliefs. Yeah. And it was a struggle for everybody. So that that part was really difficult. Uh, I don't think any divorces are easy, but I feel like ours was particularly tough. Mm-hmm. But other than that, we, I mean, I was a single mom and pretty much financially responsible for the boys. So I worked a lot, but we had, we had a great life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really didn't have this longing for a family or children, but when it happened, it just changed me forever. Right. I absolutely cherished my boys. We were very close they were very involved in sports and school. And I feel like our house was, you know, I was the youngest of five and our, our home was always the place that people came after school and where we gathered to eat and that kind of thing. So I wanted to replicate that in Mm -hmm. our home Mm -hmm. and especially with the divorce and I think unpredictability that comes with that. I just really wanted to build a life for us that was um, routine and predictable and safe and warm with lots of food and just kids coming in and out. And and we did that. So there was, there was, it was just good times. I think if you sat and talked to either my sons or my stepdaughter, those early years, even though we struggled with money and, you know, we moved a few times, we just had a place that people like to come. It was just a safe, welcoming home. Right. And it sounds as though, and I, and you describe the way your boys grew up in your book, and it just sounds like it was a wonderful childhood. And that's what gets confusing when your son, and it was your youngest son, Justin, that went down the path of drugs. And, and the reason why I want to ask this question is because I know that there are a lot of families out there and their children have gotten addicted to drugs and they're going, how did this happen. We have a good life. And that's the same thing with you. You have this good life. What happened? Yeah, it, it was a question I, I asked myself a hundred times a day back then. I just, I, I really couldn't reconcile it in my head, Rachel. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, to watch someone you love actually destroy themselves. I know there's worse things that can happen, but this was my worst thing. I, yeah. I I adored my children and, you know, you, you spend so much time, you know, investing in them and their future and wanting them to be healthy and happy and good men and have good, me- you know, all those things. And I just, I mean, it was with Justin, he, he was always a handful, very much an extrovert, very much fed off of attention. Um, and he got a lot of attention. He was naturally athletic and he, he liked girls and he just wanted to have a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was, uh, you know, the tempo in our house was, uh, I say sometimes jokingly, you could feel the testosterone before you even walked in the house. <laughs> I mean, these guys, these guys were a lot. Yeah. And, you know, and that was really cool. But when, 
there were some things that just started to shift and it, you know, it would take a while. I, I talk about that kind of walk readers through that first year in the book where I just, I started seeing these changes in my son that were just confusing. I mean, I went from thinking he was sick to maybe me- uh, mentally ill to finding out it was drugs. And then ultimately finding out from the medical provider that it was heroin. Mm. Uh, and it just, I, I, I didn't understand it. it. It was, it was, it just rocked me. Mm-hmm. It changed everything about every aspect of our life in a way that it just sucked the joy out of our home that was a joyful place. It, it became dark and even didn't feel safe. Everything about addiction confused me. Uh, I just, you know, you just don't see it coming. And, and I think, you know, since then I have, since Justin's recovery, I've, I've met a ton and talked with a lot of families that have gone through the same thing that we went through. And some have lost their loved ones to addiction. Many, many have. And it's just, it's a, it's a living nightmare. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the best way to describe it. And did they, as well as yourself, just think, how did this happen to our family? Like, that happens to other families. How in the world would that happen to us? Like, that's not possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I, I think that we we sometimes make assumptions and judgment that somehow, could, and I had people say these things to me that, you know, it was a divorce or I was too protective or I didn't keep an eye on Justin. And that's why he turned to drugs. And none of us, none of those things are why my son started dabbling in drugs and, and ultimately got addicted. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't discriminate. I mean, there's yeah, that's There's good. Very, yeah, any, it doesn't matter where, I mean, there may be certain things that set people up, like predisposition, growing up in a house where drugs are used, you know, those kinds of things obviously can contribute and increase the, the at-risk behavior and likelihood of becoming becoming addicted. And some of those things, I mean, addiction has run in, in both sides of our family, um, so those things do attribute to it, but no one is protected from drugs. I mean, yeah. especially now with fentanyl out there, there's first time users that are dying, Rachel. I mean, it is absolutely tragic. And, um, you know, I think there's things we can do as families to, to try to prevent it, to try to stay on top of it, to educate ourselves and see community. But more than anything, to me, it's, it's hitting your knees in prayer that, 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 you know, for protection around your family and turning to the Lord, because it is, a monster. Mm-hmm. You know, and I like what you said, it doesn't discriminate. And I think we have this idea, well, if I just do everything right, if I do everything perfect with my kids, then everything will turn out okay. And sometimes it doesn't. But we tend to, as parents, we tend to put, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we put the world on our shoulders, especially as moms. And it doesn't matter if it's a drug addiction or maybe we have a special needs child. We blame ourselves and we put everything upon ourselves when the reality is we live in a fallen world and things are, yeah. you know, things are going to happen. So take me back now. You find out that your son has a drug addiction. You find out from the doctor it's heroin. You notice these little things that were happening. Now tell me what's going through your mind. You find this out. Is everything kind of falling into place where you realize, oh, that's why that happened. That's why he was doing this. Yeah, it it. It just all made sense, and I knew that I knew he was doing drugs before I found out it was heroin. Um, so I had already started doing the things where I, 
you know, drug tested him and I set limits and boundaries. I even, I even had kicked him out one night after he turned 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when he finally agreed to go to the doctor. And that's when, that's when I learned it was heroin, but just hearing those words. And, and I remember just sitting in silence and complete disbelief because heroin was, I did not know it was on the street. I remember heroin, you know, when I was younger, it was, uh, what I thought was it was the heavy-duty narcotic that just sort of went away. Mm-hmm. It was in, during the opiate epidemic, so I I knew that Justin was using pills. But to hear the word heroin just it 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 changed everything, mm-hmm. and I I just it just rocked me. And and from there, you know, all things made sense. I understood why things were missing around the house. I understood, you know, where. The money was going, it was in my wallet, you know, all these things and his appearance and his lies, all that started making sense. And and that's when I think, you know, I talk a lot about Justin's addiction and what we went through, but I I, I also talk a lot about the brokenness inside of me. And mm-hmm. when you say moms carry the, the burden of the world and, and a lot of dads too on our shoulders, that's true. Like I felt like Justin was... I needed to fix him. I mm-hmm. needed him to straighten up and get better. And I would not accept this. It's going to change, you know, and I, I just, it's, it was a long, hard journey that just brought me to my knees in full surrender. Cause the truth is you cannot convince someone to stop doing drugs. You can't control their environment. You can't put in rehab and, and expect that they're going to come out fixed. And I did expect those things. And I thought I could navigate this for my son get him back again and I tried with everything I had in me and it was not until I had not one ounce of me left that I actually you know surrendered and and tried talking to God who I didn't even know and that's when he showed up for me so it's I can't reach I can't even remember what your question was but it, <laughs> it's okay it's one of those things when you find out like what you're dealing with the monster of addiction mm-hmm. it's it's when uh, you realize how little control you actually have. So hearing that word heroin was like, okay, this is bigger than me. This is bigger than anything oh, yeah. that I can than I can overcome. When you said he started to look different, what does that mean? Well, Justin was, he just was always bigger than life. He was very much into fitness. Um, both my sons were athletes. And so he was always at the gym and eating everything in sight and, you know, eyes were bright and his skin was, you know, beautiful. And, you know, he just, he was a nice looking kid and he was just, he had this brightness about him and that all went away. Mm -hmm. He lost weight. He got pale very quickly. Um, And his eyes, uh, you know, they were so dull and his skin, you know, started to turn gray. I mean, it happened really quickly. And that's when I was just really struggling to figure out what it was. So I, I don't, there wasn't relief knowing it was heroin. I mean, it really scared me, but also then I realized, okay, well, he's not, he's not really sick or mentally ill. This is, this is all drug use. And you know, when I did hear the word, I just want to say when I heard heroin, I didn't think, I mean, it scared me and I thought, Oh, it's a different level, but I still thought that I could manage it. I mm. thought, okay, now that I know what it is, we're going to figure it out. So I, got online and tried to figure out what his detox look like, how long does it take, and, you know, educate myself about heroin. But it should have told me that I wouldn't have control, but it didn't. It just, mm. I just dug my heels in further, so. Yeah. Well, you're pretty strong-willed. 
And so it just, and you're pretty driven. So it just sounds like you're going to do whatever you can to make sure that, that he gets set free. But how did that change your family dynamic? Because he has an older brother. And I mean, was he gone at this point? Was he still living at home? Yeah, Dylan was gone at this point. He was playing, they're three years apart, and he was in college, so he was playing ball and doing his thing. He would come home, like, on Christmas break and off-seasons. So Dylan missed, you know, quite a bit of it, but he knew. He Mm -hmm. knew what was going on. And, you know, it changed everything about life, everything. It sucked the joy out. It, you know, holidays and special celebrations became, you know, things that we just used to just really enjoy, um, became just a day to get through. Mm-hmm. I, I did not, I isolated. I didn't want to be around people. I mean, it was obvious something that was going on with Justin, you know, anybody that knew him just took one look at him and knew, and he was still in town. So, you know, we had a big support system and we had a lot of friends and family and I just sort of checked out. I yeah. didn't, you know, you don't, you don't want to go over people's houses. You don't want to have them come over. I was afraid of what's going to happen. What's just going to do. I mean, every minute I, I was in that like fight or flight mode mm-hmm. and I was just surviving. It wasn't like the joy was gone. I mean, you really, I mean, for me, it just consumed me mm-hmm. and changed everything about how, how I lived my life and engaged with others. I mean, I'm just trying to figure out how in the world you are even functioning, like how you are even going to work. Is he still living with you at this point? I know you said you had kicked him out, but did you bring him back in? Yeah, well, the first time, uh, you know, I had started the drug test, all these little things that I had to try to control him. And, you know, we went to the doctors and he did outpatient. That didn't work. We tried the second time. And that's when I I noticed, I could tell just instantly that when he was using. So when I found out there was one time he was using. And so I I told him, you got to go, you know, Mm. I don't care. I gave, I gave him a bottle of water and a pillow and just kicked him out, locked the door. Don't come back. And so when he, he came back, we tried it again. It didn't work. So I, I had, I had kicked him out. And then he, it was like he realized what was happening because Justin, he missed people. I mean, he, he missed his life. He, I think it just, it got a grip on him before he knew it too. And he got in so deep, so quickly that he was ready for help and he wanted to get help. So after he went into a 30 day program, after that, I would not allow him to come back home. He was 18, 19, maybe by then. Um, So he, he would do like sober living houses and, you know, he went on to go to, I think there were six or seven rehabs, but there was one in particular called Teen Challenge where he actually stayed clean throughout the whole thing, graduated after a year, and he had plans that fell through. So we allowed him to come back home temporarily just so he could get on his feet again. And mm-hmm. I think he was he was 20 then. And that's when uh, he got back into it. And that was the, that was sort of the final, you know, when I... I made him leave and change the locks. And that one just, that's when Justin just completely dove into a full life of crime and drugs. He, he left our town and he was living on the street and just was in that life 100%. Now, did you think, and, and I mean, I hate to ask this question because I know you probably don't want to even go back in your mind, but were you thinking he's going to die? 
Oh yeah. I, I, there was like this movie and I, you know, you had said, you don't know how I actually functioned. I don't know how I did either. I mean, I think it was just sheer, you know, I didn't realize it then, but it was just by the grace of God that I kept moving forward because I felt like I had to, but I, I was ready for that call. I thought for sure he was going to die. I just, I, I would see him occasionally and he was so thin. His mm-hmm. cheekbones showed he, there was nothing about my son that was recognizable and drugs changed him. It was like, there was this, the lies, his actions. I could not believe that my kid was living on the street as a criminal and, and he was getting pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. That was, I mean, he, he never asked for money or anything like that. So it's, so that's how you knew he was getting was, good at it because he wasn't asking you for money. Yeah. And yeah, he was supporting his own habit, which at that point was like, you know, at least a couple hundred dollars a day. So, yeah, I mean, he was in, in it. So I, I thought for sure he's going to die. I did not know who Christ was. I didn't understand until later that Justin was pursuing, he needed a savior. Hmm. Makes me emotional. Mm-hmm. And so did I. And it wasn't, you know, as hard as it was, it's, it's like God used that to bring us to a place of surrender and to recognize our need for a savior. So, you know, I, I relived or had this video in my head of what I would do when I thought out it was dead. What, you know, I even had a conversation with Justin. What do you want? You know, what am I supposed to do? Who do I invite? How do you mm. want to do this? Because, you know, I just didn't know. Something you never thought. It's something you never thought you would have as a conversation with your own child. Never, never. I just wanted to, you know, I did a lot of things that I, you know, looking back, you know, I, I know I shamed him. I, I was trying to just force him to see who he had become, not realizing that, you know, he already knew. I mean, Justin struggled every day with who he had become. And the cycle was so bad that he just, if he let himself get clear minded, he couldn't handle you know, the reality of where he was in life. So he had to just keep getting high to mm. try to numb that, you know? So it's, yeah. just a, it's, it's just a vicious cycle. But yeah, I, um, his brother Dylan, uh, never gave up hope. We didn't talk about a whole lot, but he, he had this instinctively, this, this notion that Justin was going to make it through somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, I mean, I, I, I wanted to believe it, but every day that passed that he was still out there, I was like, man, is, he, is it too late? I mean, will he will he live this life of crime or in prison for like the next 10 or 20 years or is he going to die? I just felt like he could not get off drugs. Mm-hmm. Now, you, I knew he wanted to. But yeah. yeah. And, and did he, I'm, I'm sure he recognized how he was destroying the family, which probably made him want to continue to use more drugs. Yeah, because it's that, that thing when you face the reality of it. I mean, he, he, was, he would tell me that he was on the streets and he'd tell people about, he loved his family. He, you know, he missed our dog, Maggie. He talked about Dylan, what a good athlete he was. He missed his sister, Shay, you know. I, I, we had a good life. And he just, you know, you can imagine waking up on the street cold mm-hmm. with sores on your body. And, like, you know, all because of your own choices. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that, you know, that it, you just decide every day to be an addict. You know, there's, it's, you can't just quit. It's not that easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just, yeah, I think the reality of that was too hard to face for all of us. 
it just was, you know, you just go through each day praying to God, you're not going to get that call, but, but preparing yourself for it. It's, it's just a horrible way to live. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. How many? It does. I mean, it was consuming for sure. Right, right. Now I'm I'm talking with Catherine Inman, the author of Counting Spoons, a memoir of heroin, heartache, and hope. You had mentioned just a few minutes ago that you didn't know God. You didn't. He was not your savior, but you were searching for one, not really realizing it. And Justin was too. Mm-hmm. And even on the back of the book, it says you cried out to God that you didn't even know you were crying out to a God you didn't even know. Explain that to me. You know, I had just this inflated sense of myself for so long. I, I believed, you know, I'd been through a lot in my life. I navigated a lot of things in my immediate family and just, you know, I, I was someone who I would say I would have called myself strong and brave and courageous. And like, there was nothing I couldn't manage it was kind of like this, this thing with Justin, it was, I felt like I was screaming at the world. I'll take anything, but not my baby. Yeah. Just please, not my kids. I mean, that, that was a different level of just desperation for me because you, you have these dreams and ideas of, of these children that you bring into the world and who they're going to be. And when you see that, uh, that kind of suffering and the ugliness of it, it just, it just ends you. And I, you know, there was one evening in particular where Justin was in jail and um, he'd been in jail dozens of times. He never called to ask me to bail him out. And he called me that night and I just said, no, absolutely not doing it. Yeah. And I, he said, okay, I love you. You know, and we, we talked, Justin and I were always close. And even when he was on the street, we, we all would talk somehow. He figured out how to get a hold of me and always said we loved each other but that night i after i hung up the phone i just it broke me i was just at the end i i just realized how out of control things were how weak i am all those ideas i had of myself of being this warrior that can make it through life no matter what those were just like i was just a a heap on the floor and you know i i looked up and just said, look, I, I can't do it anymore. I don't know what that meant for me, mm-hmm. but it felt like the end. Yeah. Uh, not that I was going to take my life, but I just didn't know how to go on. Mm-hmm. I just could not do it. And and that's when I cried out to the Lord. And, you know, it wasn't right away, but slowly in the days to come and the months to come, I I found a peace and I started to eat again and I started to sleep. I, you know, the nightmare stopped. I still was struggling sleeping, but I was getting some sleep and I just found myself talking to Jesus all day long. Mm. Just instead of, instead of the control things and this is what I'm going to do and the what ifs and, and being stressed about everything, I was just talking to God. And I realized now I was giving it to him. And, uh, you know, I felt like God took my eyes off my son long enough to see him. Mm. And when I fixed my eyes on, on Christ, he started working on my heart separate and apart from Justin. Justin was still out there. In fact, things got worse for him, but I slowly started to get better. And then I realized, you know, I cannot save my son, but I know who can. Yeah. And that's when I hit my knees and I just, you know, what I was saying to Justin on the phone sounded different. What I was feeling in my heart sounded different. And I just started giving it to God. And you know, it wasn't too long after that that Justin had the same experience. So I talk about how 
you know, we were both broken, but that we met at the cross and God just used all of that suffering, even Dylan, you know, my mm-hmm. oldest son, that, that had sparked a faith in him that he didn't know before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I had heard Justin on a podcast we did together where he thanked God for his addiction and I had to turn my mic off cause I was just <laughs> sobbing. I had never heard him say that before. Yeah. And, but I, 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 I understand what he means. I mean, had that not happened, I probably would have still thought I was, you know, had control over everything. Yeah. And you said yeah, you started talking. I'm sorry to interrupt you. You no, said you no. started talking to him differently. So is he now seeing the Jesus coming through even on the phone? Is he is he seeing the change in you? Yes. Because Justin knew at Teen Challenge, he, he was saved. He knew who Jesus was. So he started, he was getting into scripture. He started to have like a foundation of Christ. And I was actually learning from him, you know, and then he strayed and then, Mm -hmm. you know, got, he found his way back to the father. But yeah, I started saying things to Justin, like I'm praying for you Mm -hmm. and God has you. Mm -hmm. And are you ready yet? Mm -hmm. You know, seek, seek him, pray, pray, Justin, just I'm praying. You need to pray those kinds of things. And it, you know, he just, Justin finally, it wasn't, it wasn't me or my words at all that changed his heart, but he just got to the same place I did. He just got to a place one day where he could not do it anymore either. And he just cried out, God, take my life or give me one worth living. I just can't do this. And, and then the miracle started happening. God just started making a way for us. For someone who doesn't know what Teen Challenge is, can I mean, I'm very familiar with Teen Challenge. They're actually part of the reason why I came to Christ. But what, can you explain that real quick? And I'll make sure that I put their website in the show notes. Yeah, so Teen Challenge, when Justin had gone through quite a few rehabs, one of the ladies at, uh, her name was Connie, at the health insurance company that we had, she suggested Teen Challenge because it's a longer program. And it, what she said to me, it's a year and it's faith-based. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I, rem- I remember thinking, because I didn't know who God was, I was thinking, okay, Justin needs all the help he can get. Like, yeah, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Faith Space will take it. Yeah. Not understanding really what that meant. So it is a program that, you know, you dive into scripture, you learn about the Lord, you, it's across the United States. I don't, I don't know how many facilities there are, but there's a ton of them. And for, for Justin, that really worked because it's such a strict regimented schedule mm-hmm. um and that you know he did really well in those kind of programs mm-hmm. and so it is faith-based it all starts in god's word and you build from there so so that gave justin a foundation mm-hmm. um that changed changed his life forever so he when he was done he already knew who christ was he's the one that turned away so he know where he knew where to go mm-hmm. where his hope was he he came back to the father. So mm-hmm. yeah, Teen Challenge is a, I want to say, I mean, it, it, it's a little confusing because it says Teen Challenge, but it's for everybody. Right. Um, it's for all adults and it really, really changed for Justin. I mean, he was, like I said, I think it was a 12 to 14 month program. So tell me now what's happening. So you're now leaning on Christ. You're sharing with Justin. I'm praying for you. Lean on God. And you said now he's starting to do the same thing. Even as a drug dad addict, he is starting to lean on Christ. How is then he moving out of his addiction? Justin always wanted to get clean. 
he always wanted to get his life back. And, you know, I've, I remember asking that question because it is like, how do you even start? Where do you start when you're that broken and mm. you've got this six, seven year path of destruction behind you? Where do you even begin? And for Justin, he said he had to be more afraid of continuing that life than he was of change. So he had to be so sick of himself and his life and everything about it Mm -hmm. that change, even hard change and even detox and facing his family, all that stuff sounded better than continuing. Wow. And, and you would think that he would have reached that point earlier, Mm -hmm. but he, he did not. I mean, there was parts of that life when he was in that, that drug state that filled a need in him because mm-hmm. he always had this like insatiable hunger for more. Like when you asked Justin, what turned you to drugs? And he said, he would say nothing was enough. His pursuit of pleasure, even when he was little, like if he, if he had one milkshake, he wanted two. Mm-hmm. If he, you know, nothing could fill this need that he, that he was chasing. Um, and so when he found drugs, he was like, well, there it is. That's what he thought. That's what I've been looking for all mm. my life. Finally, mm-hmm. I found it. It's drugs. That's what I need. And then, you know, we all know drugs uh, then rob you. Right. Of everything. Because it's a counterfeit. That is good in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So for him, it was just that, you know, that, that decision, you know, I'm done. And the thing about it, I, I had clear boundaries and I stuck to things. I would not let Justin in our home. I wouldn't be around him when he was using, but he knew when he was ready to get help, I would come. Mm-hmm. And so when he was in that state and ready to get help, I, you know, God put it on my heart to go looking for him. And, and then we made it happen like one door at a time that was open one prayer at a time. And he, he just did the hard, hard work, um, found a discipleship program, went to it, completed it, had to come back, face the music, pay restitution, do some jail time, like all those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wait, so- but he, he Oh, no, go ahead. No, I just, he, he said that for him, he knew because it happened so many times. If he started drinking again, if he just took one pill, if he tried one, he knew where that was going to lead him. Mm-hmm. And it terrified him. It just terrified him. So he just threw everything he had into just leaning on the power and the blessing and the grace and mercy of Christ to get through one hour, one day at a time. And just God just kept leading him. Yeah. And by the way you explain it, I mean, because it is a huge, long process. I mean, you just kind of explained it within 30 seconds. But that step by step, hour by hour, that's a huge process. How many years are we talking about from when he got addicted to that turning point of I'm at the end of myself. I need to start working towards getting clean. How long was that? I want to say it was probably six to seven years. Oh my gosh. So you're spending six to seven years just in this numb survival mode state. Yep. Yeah. I mean, the only time I I experienced a little bit of peace was when he was in rehab facilities Mm -hmm. um, because he was in a controlled environment. And that's the thing about Justin. He wanted to do well. So he, he would do great in these rehabs. He got really good at them they were not addressing the need. So he'd get out and then he'd just go back to who he was before and use drugs again. But Mm -hmm. so when he was in those programs, uh, I, I would at least breathe easier. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was still, I was still broken and you know, you're just waiting for that call that he left or that, you know, and I could tell instantly it, you know, when things weren't working out or when he was getting close to getting back out there and using again, and it would always happen really quickly after he got out of the program. So, um, yeah, it was, I don't know how I made it. I, I mean, I do know God, God was leading me, but Mm -hmm. you know, there's so many people. I think if fentanyl had been on the street, Justin would not have made it. I mean, God doesn't make people use drugs. You know, it's sin that brings us to it. And, you know, I don't, I don't know why Justin made it through. I honestly, I don't know how I did, Mm -hmm. but I'm just grateful every single day that, that we both made it out on the other side because so many people don't. So where is Justin now you went through this whole process. He finally got to the place where he said, I am at the end of myself. I need to get clean. Where is he at today? Justin is, so when he went to the final program, it was in Washington state. He still lives there. Um, in August, it was seven years that he's been clean and walking with Christ. Awesome. Um, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's so good. And you know, Justin, is um it's interesting because the book um a really good friend of mine who's an author she when she when she read the book she wrote a review and she said this book is about so much more than a mother and son's battle against heroin it's a story of every mother who has fought for her child and won by surrender yeah her name is nikki white and and that's the thing it's like you know addiction is one thing and that that got us in that nightmare and and almost ended the lives of both of us in many different ways. But more than that, it's how, how we, we begin to live a life that's centered on Christ. Mm -hmm. So for Justin, he had to get off drugs, obviously, but who he is um, as a man, even compared to who he was before he started using drugs is just night and day. Mm -hmm. I mean, Justin has established, uh, he's, owns his partners on a construction business and God has blessed them. He never looks for work. They're just busy, busy, busy. And he's building houses and doing renovations. He is married. He has, um, gave his two grandchildren with another on the way. Um, his wife, Amanda is, is just an angel. Absolutely adore her and cherish her as does Justin. Um, he still struggles with things like we all do, but he's not using drugs. He's not tempted to use drugs. He's, you know, he's in a community. It's much different than how he grew up. So he's the people that he's around um, and his community are people that maybe not in recovery, but people that live life a different way. I Mm -hmm. mean, he's, he's not around drugs and alcohol. He, uh, him and his wife help co-facilitate a program called next steps where they're, they're working with um, and pouring out over people who are either in addiction or trying to come out of it. Um, He is a man of God. I mean, he just, the way he views the world, how he loves people, how he pours out into others, how he loves our family. Mm -hmm. He's just a completely different, different guy. And we're, you know, like I said, Jeff and I have always been close, but we, we are so close. We talk two or three times a day. Mm -hmm. Um, We pray together we did right before this podcast, you know, he encourages me. He is so knowledgeable about God's word. And I think when you've been stripped of everything and you come back and I think every day he looks around at his family and his home and his 
car and his business and, you know, food on the table. And just, it, it just is something that he's grateful every day. So I think your lens and how you see the world changes completely forever Mm -hmm. when you've been through what we've been through. Mm -hmm. So what was, no, I just said Justin's great. He's (laughs) one of my favorite people. (laughs) That's awesome. And you got some grandbabies out of the deal, which is always a huge bonus. So, Oh my goodness. Yes. You then you've now walked through this huge, just heart wrecking process, but it has brought you to Christ, which is, awesome and then you decide to write a book about your everything that you went through that had to have been gut-wrenching just to kind of go back and relive all of those memories what was the purpose of writing counting spoons you know i didn't i've said this a few times on podcasts because i i didn't i had no like really plan of writing a book or exposing our darkest times i it just started pouring out of me. It, it really was, you know, God's story. He wanted this written. Um, he put it on my heart. It started just pouring out and uh, it took about a year. And it was, it was tough to relive that. And it, it, it was almost like a physical reaction sometimes as I dove into those, those dark days and how life was. And I didn't realize at the time, but it has healed it has healed me and Justin and our family in ways we didn't even recognize we needed to be healed. And so the writing part was difficult. I spent a lot of time in prayer. Justin and I talked a lot about it. My sister, Martha was a big support, my husband and then Dylan. And, you know, as we're going through this, we kind of ended up with this book and I was like, okay, well, maybe we need to get this out into the world. But mm-hmm. it was terrifying, honestly. I, I mean, a lot of people, almost everybody, including my husband, would learn for the first time how bad things were when they read the book. Because <laughs> I just, it's not something that I really talked about. Yeah. So that was that was a little, it felt really exposing. I I really had to seek support and encouragement from my brothers and sisters in Christ because I felt just really vulnerable and exposed and mm-hmm. but God wanted this to happen and he's using it in ways that I I had not even anticipated so yeah I mean for someone as private as I was to put this book out there people are like what happened to Catherine I cannot <laughs> believe she's doing this and I'm like yeah this is an act of God it's his story mm-hmm. he's using our pain for his mighty purposes mm-hmm. and it's you know the people I've heard from and just things that they're they're getting from reading our story I never would have imagined so it's really God's using it and he's blessing us well and you said this a little bit earlier it's not just a book about you as a mom trying to help your son be set free from this addiction but this is a book about submission to the Lord and surrender to the Lord and I think every parent can can relate to that. It doesn't matter if it's drugs. It doesn't matter if it's a child that chooses a career that you did not want to have, or maybe a child that passed away. Like all of us have to get to that point of surrendering our own kids. And that that's a difficult place. And I, I can't imagine going what you have gone through. I mean, I know that I've had to really surrender my kids to the Lord, but in this circumstance, it, it, it was really helpful because 
when someone is addicted to drugs, I think we focus on that person and we don't realize the toll that it takes upon the family. All the focus is on the person that's addicted and you really expose what it does to a family. And so I appreciate you being vulnerable with that. I will make sure that the book is or there's a link in the show notes so people can grab the book. But before we end, there's something that I do want to ask. You said that you couldn't fix it that you were trying so hard at the beginning, I'm going to research heroin, I'm going to do research how to get set free and get clean, but you realize as a mom that you didn't have control. So those moms out there that are listening right now that say, I'm going through this with my child and I want to do something, what can I do? What what can a mom do? If you can't fix it, what, what can they do? Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's so many things I, I, I would say, and first I just want to say the time spent on your knees in prayer is the most valuable. If Mm -hmm. I would have known that early on, I would have, uh, it would have saved, I think just so much anguish and desperation and sleepless nights. I, I recognize the power of prayer and to just rally with people to get them praying for your loved one and for you. Um, but I do want to say that, you know, in hindsight, there, you cannot show up for your loved one if you are depleted. Mm. And, and sometimes the, um, you know, when you're dealing with this kind of a thing, how you can bless others, including your loved one. If you've got someone that you love that's spiraling out of control and addiction, one of the best things you can do is still take care of yourself. I mean, I... I cannot stress that enough. You've got to make sure that you surround yourself, that you protect yourself and your family, but you get fed. Like you have people that are speaking love over you, that you're praying for protection for your whole family, that you're praying for rest, that you set those boundaries. Because the truth is, as much, there was never a question of the love that my son and I shared, never. Mm-hmm. We absolutely adored and loved and cherished each other. But Justin would have taken me down and our entire family with him and his addiction. Mm-hmm. He just would have. And so you've got to recognize that. Like the drugs change people and they become someone sometimes, like in our case, that you don't want in your home, someone that you don't trust. So you've got to protect yourself. And there's community. You've got to reach out. There is, you know, there's a lot of shame with addiction. I just hate that. And I don't use the word hate very often, but I hate the shame that comes with it because it keeps people from reaching out and you give that sin and that ugliness, you give it power when you hold it inside. So there's community everywhere. There's celebrate recovery programs there. There I'm sure in neighborhoods, through churches, through your, your healthcare, like get out there and talk to people and get support. You've just got to do that and and trust your loved one with the one who created him or mm. her. I mean, it, I think the realization that, that God loves Justin more than I did and that he has him in his mighty grip through all of this was such a relief to me. And still to this day, I worry about my children and people I love, but I give it to God and it, you know, if, if Justin relapsed today, it would be horrible and it would wreck me and there would be suffering, but I would be walking mm. and clinging mm-hmm. to Jesus through it. So, so those are the things, I mean, you've got to have boundaries and take care of yourself and seek support. 
and more than anything, get on your knees in prayer and, and rally with other people to pray for your family. It's so, so, so important. That is so good. Thank you so much, Catherine. Okay. Catherine Inman, the author of Accounting Spoons, a memoir of heroin, heartache, and hope. And I will make sure that that is in the show notes again. Thank you so much, Catherine, for being here today. Oh, my gosh, Rachel. Thank you. Such a blessing. I just appreciate it so, so, so very much. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Unique On Purpose podcast. I am grateful to Catherine sharing her story of heartache and hope with us. Check out her book, Accounting Spoons, in the show notes, as well as a link to Teen Challenge. If addiction is a part of your life today, whether it's you or someone you love, don't wait to get help. Unique On Purpose is available on iTunes as well as Spotify, so don't forget to share download and subscribe. And remember, you were created unique on purpose. You are loved. And because of Christ, you have been made worthy. I'll see you right back here next week.